0: If you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We'll be in John 14 this morning, so starting a new chapter, John 14, verses 1 through 6. So in multiple ways, we are presently living in a troubled age. You know, Lord willing, as we have seen and we know, you know, perhaps the The pandemic may well be coming to an end and hopefully soon and very soon. I know that's been our prayer for so long, our desire, our longing that we can get back to normal and gather together without all these things and social distancing and everything else. And we know that we'll perhaps take still some time, but we see a light at the end of the tunnel and we rejoice in that. But even so, there's no doubt that there have been many who have just really just wrestled through this time, you know, with all sorts of things going on in them, you know, anxieties, stresses, you know, even depression, all these things just weighing down on them, and and not just you know around here, throughout the, our nation, and throughout the world, and perhaps you personally, you could testify if you were up here and say, yes, that has been exactly what I've been experiencing is troubled soul, a troubled soul in the midst of these days. So we have that, and besides that, we also are living and the godless days as well. You know, our nation has long been hammering, and I mean that, hammering against its moral foundations with such speed and ferocity that there really is little left to grasp onto. And we're seeing that in our nation now. And the theologian, you know, Carl F.H. Henry, he wrote, The dilemma of secular man is this. In order to escape the nihilism and personal worthlessness implicit in naturalism, he invests his life with sequestered meanings and values that naturalism cannot sustain. What does all that mean? It means that people, in looking to know God, godless age... They have found out, wow, there's no meaning left, and so I'll just create meaning for myself. Which naturalism, no God, no thing, no such thing as supernatural, and all these things, as he said, cannot sustain that, and it has not and it will not sustain that in you, in our world. And Henry, he wrote that 22 years ago. Yet his words could very well define why we are seeing what we are seeing today. That's right. You know, as David said in the Psalms, you know, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, this morning, you might be asking both questions. What am I to do with this troubled heart of mine? And maybe it's not troubled right now, but it will be. (laughs) You're going to encounter trouble in this world. And so it will be. And then what am I to do in the midst of a troubled, increasingly godless age? And so those two questions we'll hear then we turn to our passage this morning in John's gospel where we find indeed help for troubled hearts and hope for this day and for countless days to come Amen. and every day even after so we'll begin there in chapter 14 verse 1 And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here we have, of course, a passage that you are very likely familiar with. You know, you perhaps, you know, have thought of this passage often. You know, you know it. You doubly know it and perhaps triply know it. You know, one you can quote from heart at least John 14:6, for certain. And so you know these, these verses, and, and there is indeed great help for us from these verses in our troubled days for both of those questions set before us this morning. And they bring this, you know, cool water to dry lips. And so may they be that this morning to you. And so it is then that we see in verses 1 through 4 here Comfort for troubled hearts. Comfort for troubled hearts. And so the verse, it opens with Jesus telling his disciples, you know, let not your heart hearts be troubled. And the implication being then, what? Their hearts were troubled. <laughs> you know, not very profound there, but it's true, yes, that means that very likely, you know, their hearts were indeed troubled, and I'll tell, I'll show you why that was. And so why might the disciples here, why might their hearts have been troubled? Because they were. Well, if you just look up just a bit there in your Bibles, at the end of chapter 13, we saw it last week, we see Jesus, he told Peter that he would deny him, Three times. So surprise, Peter. <laughs> you know, I mean, wow, you know, um, he's hearing this, you know, you know, and if, if you were a Peter, here you are thinking that you are ready to follow Jesus to the ends of the earth. I'm going to lay down my life for you. And then Jesus tells you, oh, wait. Just you're going to do- deny me three times wow, you know, like, that's not the way I would think that I would have be like, you know, I mean, just think of yourself. I mean, if you were told that, like, really, that's, that's the kind of person I am, the kind of person that would deny Jesus three times. Trouble. (laughs) Just imagine how, you know, you would have felt in this. I mean, certainly a shock, a dismay there, maybe even You would have been deflated, you know, wondering, how in the world could I do that? I mean, I didn't think I would be that kind of person that would deny him. I love Jesus. But no, Peter, you're going to do it. And so we see why this, or at least see why perhaps trouble, Peter was troubled here, which might also be why we don't actually hear from Peter again in chapter, until chapter 18. He's just sitting back, you know. Oh, what? He just told me that? I mean, what, what does that mean, you know? This troubled heart. But it wasn't only Peter who was likely taken aback by this. The other disciples were likely troubled by Jesus' statement as well mean, what do you mean Peter's going to deny you I mean what about us then what are we going to do if Peter's going to deny you are we going to make it I mean does that mean that we might fall away also I mean is there hope for us so you see already just these levels of trouble going on in their hearts and then we'll just add a little bit more to that Not so long ago, they found out that one of them would betray Jesus as well, and they still don't know who it is. (laughs) So you see the levels of trouble going on here, and then Jesus tells them that he's going away, and you can't follow him there. (laughs) So it seems like right now, with everything that Jesus is telling them, that a lot of crazy stuff is getting ready to happen and Jesus is leaving. <laughs> now, of course, you know, they don't fully understand or grasp everything that's going to happen and all that this means, but you can see how all this would just add trouble upon trouble to their hearts. And so it makes total sense that Jesus would say what he says here in verse 1. And so even in the midst of their trouble, he encourages them. He comes alongside them and he comforts them and he comforts them with this remedy. Faith. Faith. He tells them simply, believe in God, believe also in me. So in other words, he's, He's saying, let let all of your faith be in God and let all of your faith be in me, be in Jesus. There's no contradiction in saying that. In believing God, they will and they are right to believe Jesus. And in believing Jesus, they are believing God. And so notice here where rest is found for us. It is not found in unbelief. The very thing today in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of this godless age, some are throwing off faith. The very thing that is the answer, the troubled aren't going to it to find relief, and perhaps that's you this morning, you know, you just, you just haven't been looking to faith, maybe you you have been reading your Bible, but there's not really a faith there, it's just, you know, I don't really know if he's going to do what he says he's going to do, you know, in, in the background there, really, is just unbelief, not faith, you know, for a number of years, you know, I went, you know, I went through, of course, you know, like, well, not all of you, but many of you, um, you know went through middle school and high school and went through college and and I even went through seminary and you know I, throughout this time, I just had this kind of drained feeling, kind of a drainedness of energy, and I just thought that was you know part of life, you know kind of like you know if you, if you maybe you don't have twenty 2020 vision, you know when you first find out that you can't see as clearly, you know, as everyone else can. You know, like, can you see that board over there? You know, and then you finally get glasses on and it's like, whoa, you know, you're right. I didn't see everything, you know, that was there. Well, that's kind of like what it was for me here. You know, after I had a, a mild case of a heat exhaustion and possibly even a, a mild heat stroke, I found out... That my problem wasn't just like a lack of energy. I wasn't, it's it's a simple kind of solution. But it was this, I wasn't drinking enough water. (laughs) You know, I mean, profound, right? You know, but that was it. That was my problem over all those years. Why I felt drained. Wasn't drinking enough water. And the solution was just a simple one. Just fix it. Drink more water. (laughs) Put your glasses on. Wear glasses now. Well, so often, you know, that, that can be us. You know, we just, we just think that, that unbelief in us is just normal. Or perhaps maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. Perhaps that spiritual deadness in yourself is just normal. We just think that our troubled hearts are just kind of par for the course. You just kind of resolve to yourself, you know, I've tried everything, I've... I've battled through many storms of emotions and trial after trial, troubled thing after troubled thing, and I have found no remedy. It just must be normal. And yet, so often, just like glasses and just like drinking water for me, the, the remedy is right there before us and not in unbelief. That's what you're going to hear from our age, is unbelief. And it's not in godliness, godlessness, but it's in faith, in faith, in believing. Believe in God. Believe also in me, is what Christ says to you sitting there in your pew or at home or wherever you are. Believe in God. Believe Also in me, comma, your name. And so it's so obvious, maybe it's not so obvious that we just kind of pass it by. Well, the prophet, you know, Jeremiah, he declares of Israel in Jeremiah 2, 12 through 13, he says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountains of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Well, faith is the remedy for your broken cisterns. You're wondering why you've been leaking everywhere, <laughs> you know. Faith. And Jesus He sets before the disciples and before us the remedy. He sets before us this re- remedy. Believe. Holy trust in me. Holy believe all that I say. Holy not lean on yourself, but holy lean on. On me. I can handle it. You cannot handle it. You were not created to handle it. I made you. Required you. To have had to lean on me. Since Adam and Eve. And they fall. And we said no more. I can do it myself. (laughs) Faith. Faith plain, especially if you've grown up in the church. It's plain, but it's needed. You need that. So faith is the remedy. That is the remedy, but Jesus, he goes on here and he explains this a bit more. and He explains that there is room for you. There's room for you, and he he tells his disciples here of the Father's house his father's house so you may be you know familiar here with the king james translation you know of this passage which it says you know in my father's house are many mansions you know and you know i the king james version is a, a beautiful translation you know um, i've just been amazed at how incredibly how much work they put into every word of the King James. So no disrespect to the King James, but this this isn't quite what this verse is getting at. The word here for mansions, it's talking less about, you know, a house or mansions as the King James has it, and more about a dwelling place. So Jesus he isn't saying here that we need to go looking for a, a house or room number in heaven. You know, so when, if, if you know Christ, you won't, you won't have someone when, you're, when you go there tell you, welcome to heaven. Your room is right this way. It was prepared for you. <laughs> we think you'll like the accommodations just fine. They're the best in all of creation. Follow me this way. You won't have that. Because Jesus isn't saying that. He's saying there is room for you in the Father's house. You won't miss out. If you know Christ, there's enough room. If you know Christ, your salvation, it is not in peril. It's secure, it's immovable. It is yours in Christ even though he's going away, disciples, there's there's room in my father's house. It's secure. You're going to be fine. I'm you're going to be there with me. There's room for you. So he explains it and then he gives the means for it. And this is the means And the means is this, is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is going to prepare the way for his children to enter that house. So the way into that room, into that house, is through his work on your behalf. So through the cross... Through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, he is preparing a place for us. That's what he's doing. He's going, his going is preparing a place for you. Amen. You know, as one pastor put it, it wasn't, it wasn't a nail and hammers that were used on this house. It was the cross and the grave. So what Jesus is saying here is different than what he is saying in Matthew 25, 34. And what did he say there? Well, he says, There come you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Already done. <laughs> it's prepared. So in the, pla- the place in Matthew is already prepared, but here it's not. And the reason is, the preparation here is what Jesus is about to do. How he is about to go to the cross to accomplish salvation for sinners. And he will do it. Amen. And he will come again. Amen. And he'll take you with him. <laughs> and you will be where he is. Praise the Lord. And there's plenty of room. <laughs> so in seeing all of that then let faith fill your troubled heart let faith fill your troubled heart it may well be that this morning your heart is indeed weighed down well consider again his words believe in God believe also in me. You know, as the, the song goes, you know, as troubles abound in you and around you, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. That's what you're to do. He is with you, He is before you and you will be with him forever because he has gone and prepared a place for you. Amen. Praise the Lord. So let faith fill your troubled heart and then also fill your thoughts with the glorious future that is yours in Christ Jesus. So our thoughts, they are so often, they so often become mixed and, and kind of fixed on things here and now, you know all this stuff, you know, you know all the things going on, and you know stimulus coming out, or you know all the the movements of government. And we just read in Isaiah forty that God is over sovereign over all those things. Like Jared read for us, raising up and bringing down. We can get so fixed on these things, we'll. Here we're being told, see all Christ has done. See the place he has prepared for you. See that you are his and he is yours right now. See what joy awaits you. See that glory lies ahead for you in Christ. So fill your your thoughts with those things. Fill your thoughts with Christ. Christ. He will be there, and you will be there with Him. You have a place with Him. And so, yes, it may be that the realities of this earthly world may shake you and vigorously assail you, but you just as vigorously fill your thoughts with the realities of the heavenly world to come. And, wow, Troubled heart, be moved. You know, see what God will do. Where God, in the consideration and filling your heart and mind with those things, mindful of this, where God will forever be our light. Whereas Revelation twenty two, three through five, it says, "No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship." Him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp of sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. We're just so often fill our minds and meditate and think upon all this other stuff. We're never commanded to do that, but we are commanded to set our mind on things above. This is what we are to fulfill our thoughts and minds with. And isn't that glorious? Just fill your minds with the glories of things above. Fill your mind with the glory of being with Christ forever. That's worthy of your meditation. Behind a troubled heart is those things... Perhaps that are not so good to meditate upon. And God says, Fill your thoughts with me. Believe and worship and praise me. So, following his words there in verses one through four, we are spurred on fur- further with verses 5-6 through to the certainty of this way he prepares for us. So here we see plainly that Jesus alone is our sure salvation. So in verse 4, Jesus, he told them they knew the way to where he was going and, you know, Thomas, so we don't have Peter. You would expect Peter to kind of chime in here, but... You know, again, just wonder, that kind of troubled heart that Peter has, but instead it's Thomas, and so Thomas, upon hearing him say that, you know, he speaks up and he essentially asks, you know, what do you mean we don't know the way? I mean, where are you going? You know, and Thomas, he is, he's thinking more along the lines of some, you know, identifiable route Jesus could point them to, you know, like Tell me, like, how do you get there, you know? You go, you go down, like, I-55, you know, what do you do? Like, you know, how do, how do you get that direction, you know? He wants to know it specifically. Well, graciously, you know, Jesus tells them again what he has been telling them all along because his words are true. You know the way where I'm going, so he has already told them he is the light of the world. He has already told them that he is the great I am. He has already told them that he is the bread of life. And so he tells them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So they've already heard all those points. But he tells them again. And so first we see here of that, that he is the way. He is the way. He is the one road, the one path, the one way to God. He isn't a way. He is the way. Amen. And the way to where he is going is himself. You need Christ. Now listen well here. We are being told by our culture right now that it has the corner on morality. That's what they're setting before all of us are saying. Here is a morality that no one's been seeing that you need to take on for yourself. It says that you create your own morals. You decide your own truth. You find your own way. You tell people who you are. But if you look at scripture, what it says of doing the doing of that, of creating your own morals, deciding yourself what truth is, finding your own way and telling people who you say you are, what scripture says of all that is that is idolatry. Romans chapter 1. That's what the whole flow of that passage is. False worship leads to all this other stuff. We have perhaps made gods for ourselves, even making ourselves God. And the problem with that is that it isn't true. (laughs) It is not true. You are not God. Maybe that's a surprise to you right now. You know, what? I'm not God. You know, I thought I had a spark of divinity in me. You know, or whatever it is, you know, the, uh, the secret. You know, you had that going on for you that you could speak and things would come into existence, you know. Well, you are not God. This is simply making an idol of yourself. You may have all the nice things this world can give, but you'll never, ever be God. There's only one almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, glorious, infinite, wise, holy God, and that is not you. So check yourself in this. There's a reason we wrestle with These desires in ourselves, like, you know, why aren't people serving me more? You know, what is that, what is going on there in your heart? It's that mentality, you know, maybe I am kind of God, you know, people need to answer to me. You know, where people have to do what we tell them to do, they have to meet our demands. All of that, what's behind that? You see how our hearts are doing that in so many ways, you know, at home with your family or with people you work with, you know, and all this going on and behind it is this kind of like, well, I think, you know, I'm pretty, pretty close to the G.O.D., you know, I'm close to being that, but perhaps we want to put our place there even as we've seen we do since Genesis 3 where we have all of you mold yourselves to the winds of ourselves. You know? So check yourself on this. Don't just say, that's out there. How are you going to deal with your own heart here? And so the godlessness of our age will not do. The meanings we make for ourselves will not do. No other path will do. You will not know God through creating your own meaning through another religion, through a self-made idol, or of anything or anyone else. Acts 4.12 And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen. Jesus alone is the way he came to save us, even as we make our idols, even as we make idols of ourselves. He came for us. He made the way for us. He is the way, and He is also the truth. He is the truth. He is, he is revelation walking. He is capital T, Truth. Here ends your pursuit for finding truth on your own. God has pursued you. He has spoken. He has told us who He is. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is, and all He does is faithful, good, and true. And we aren't that. So again, our Ages, guilt stands against it. It acts as though there is no truth so it can imagine any truth it likes and thinks that will satisfy them. John Piper, the the pastor and theologian, he, he writes this, people don't embrace relativism because it's philosophically satisfying They embrace it because it's physically and emotionally gratifying. Provides the cover they need at key moments in their lives to do what they want without intrusion from absolutes. Which is exactly what we do, right? It's like Adam and Eve, what did they do when they sinned against God? They went and they hid themselves. Trying to cover our sin and mask it and this isn't the first time that we've done that even as we see in Genesis 3 there's nothing new under the sun and this is what we also see of the people of Israel what were they doing as well in judges whatever was right in their own eyes and it was a disaster we need Christ we need him who is the truth, and also he is the life. Amen. In him is life. He gives true life, kind of heart beating and everything life. He's, he's not a mortician, so he doesn't, he doesn't dress up the dead and make them, you know, look nice, you know. But he really brings life to the dead. He really gives life to the spiritually dead heart. He doesn't just dress them up. So, so it is then that John, he began the gospel saying this, in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made, and him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so each of these then exhorts us on to Christ. They exhort us on to look to, trust in, hold fast to, and be defined by Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not trying to fool you. When you die, he won't, he won't come to you and tell you, Ah oh boy, I got you good. You know, you thought I was I was saying I was the only way? Wow, you really did not understand John 14:6. You know, I'm just one of the ways, not the way. You do you, you find your own way. He's not going to do that. And he isn't doing that here. He is the way. His word really is true and you really can trust him. You really can believe him. You know, from Genesis to Revelation, the Spirit-inspired word of Christ, it stands true. So don't believe the devil. He wants to tweak everything and and tweak you to fit you into the attitudes and agendas of our day. Well, church, we must hold fast to it. We must hold fast to Christ. And we will be tested in this. But you are to hold fast. We are to be in the world, the pillar and the buttress of the truth this day and every day to come. So trust Christ. Believe Him. He is not just your way, your truth, and your life. He is the, the, the. This means your life is to be defined by Him. You know, Winston Churchill, he once said, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them just kind of pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. That's not to be us. That's not to be us. The truth, Jesus, He will change everything about you. He will change the way you think, the way you feel, the way you live your life, the way you raise your family, the way you work at your job, the way you get your groceries, the way you go to the restaurant, the way you walk down the road. (laughs) He'll change everything about you. And it takes you out of the driver's seat and it cries when you come to Him and you cries out before God, I need you. You made me in your image, but I broke it. You made me for your glory, but I sought it for myself. You sought us, but I did not seek you. God, you are God. You reign. You're sovereign. You have the final word. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now alive. Glory to God in the highest. Really believing Jesus changes you. It changes your life. It changes everything. So, taking up these verses, believe them. Grow in your faith in Christ. Turn. Perhaps you don't, you don't know Christ this morning. He's calling you to turn to to him by faith and he will save you this morning. To believe him and believe that he died on the cross for you and your sins and your debts. And he'll make you right with God. So we are to be changed. And so in this troubled age, in the midst of these Godless times believe, be comforted and know that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. let's pray. Father, we come this morning and we are indeed living in troubled days and a troubled age and we just come and I pray each one of us even now would do this and we just come and, and rest ourselves in you and just come honestly before you letting you examine our hearts according to your word that if we have not believed perhaps we've doubted that we would confess that to you we'd be honest to you you know it already help us Lord to believe and grow our faith and help our unbelief. And if there's any here perhaps who, indeed, you know, all of us here struggle with, you know, seeking our own way, perhaps, you know, making gods of ourselves, idolatry, help us confess that this morning. Help us lay down our idols, even casting them away and, crushing them in our hearts and giving every place in our heart to Christ. I pray for anyone here who's just troubled in general. Pray they would take heed to these things that we've seen in your word this morning that Christ can do as he says that they would trust him and believe and have faith that you would be with us, Lord, as we need to to look to you in this godless age that we would live for the God who is God and Jesus who is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. So help us, Father, grant us courage in our day and boldness to declare your name and to live for Christ because we truly believe these things. I pray for anyone who doesn't know you this morning that now they would see life is found in Christ. May they Turn to him even now. And so we look to you and we pray you give us grace to respond as we sing. May we indeed turn our eyes to Jesus. Amen.